We're going to be in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 53 this morning, 40 verses. So we're not going to read 40 verses before we preach, but we will walk verse by verse through the text. What I'd like to do is to read Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, as we finish up the book of Luke this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. In Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us through your holy word. That we would hear your voice. Or that your Holy Spirit would take your holy word and plant it deep in our hearts. That you would bring about transformation, renewal of the mind, and life change. And Lord, we pray for those who might be here today who do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation, that you would grant eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe. Lord, would you do this for your glory in Jesus' name? Amen. You may be seated. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 53. Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he wants his readers to have certainty about the things that they have been taught. And in chapter 24, through the many infallible proofs of the resurrection of Christ, he wants them to have certainty about the resurrection. And this means that the Holy Spirit wants us to have certainty today about the resurrection of Christ. Charles Spurgeon said this, no fact in history is better attested than the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It must not be denied by any who are willing to pay the slightest respect to the testimony of their fellow men. 
that Jesus who died on the cross was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea did literally rise again from the dead. And John Stott said this, we must insist that Christ's work of sin bearing was finished on the cross. That the victory over the devil, sin, and death was won there. And that what the resurrection did was to vindicate the Jesus whom men had rejected to declare with power that he is the Son of God and publicly to confirm that his sin-bearing death had been effective for the forgiveness of sins. If he had not been raised, our faith and our preaching would be futile since his person and work would not have received the divine endorsement. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 makes this very clear that if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then we are still in our sins, our faith is meaningless and futile, and we are in big trouble, and the ones who should be pitied the most among all people. But it's not the particular facts or particular proofs that we are to be certain about. It's not just about facts and just about proofs that Luke is dealing with. It's about a particular person. He wants us to be certain about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout the narrative in chapter 24, Luke intends for us to encounter Christ. In the the same way that these early disciples encountered Christ, encountered the risen Christ, Luke wants us to encounter Christ in at least five ways. And here they are. Number one, he wants us to encounter the risen Christ explaining how to interpret the scriptures. Look at verse 13 through 27. On that very day, now this is Resurrection Sunday, in the afternoon on the road to Emmaus, listen to what Luke says. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now, it's about a two and a half hour walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it's about 11 kilometers, seven miles around there. So this is a long afternoon journey. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now, Luke wants us to know, this is emphatic. This is Jesus himself. This is Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who was crucified, who was buried, and who was raised again. It is this Jesus that drew near and began walking with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. This is a sovereign blinding. They can't recognize Jesus at this point. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened 
there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things, these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Was it not necessary? Is this not what the scriptures have said? The apostle Paul picks up on this in Philippians chapter two, and he says that he was obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There is a necessity of suffering before exaltation. This is what the scriptures have said verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This must have been the most amazing sermon to two people that has ever been preached. This is a biblical theology. Christ is interpreting in all the scriptures from Moses to all of the prophets, the things concerning himself. Can you imagine what he must have said as he expounded the scripture and showed them about himself on every page of scripture? If you've got a Jesus storybook Bible, the byline says, every story whispers his name. All of the scripture centers on Jesus Christ. He's the one who would crush the serpent's head in Genesis chapter 3. The one through whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Passover lamb, the prophet like unto Moses, the son of David, the Christ of God, the true Israel, the one born of a virgin, the righteous branch, the one who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, the one who by his wounds we are healed. The one who would not be abandoned to the grave. The holy one would not see corruption in the grave. The one to whom the Lord said, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, and sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
the one who is appointed priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, the one who would be the light to the nations that the salvation of God would reach the ends of the earth. Luke wants us to encounter the risen Christ explaining how to interpret the scriptures. See, the reality is we cannot interpret the Old Testament scriptures like a Jewish rabbi because the scriptures are about Christ. He is the point of the scriptures and he is all over every Old Testament text. And what we see in here is the technical word in verse 27, and beginning from Moses or beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the graphe, and this, this is the, the, the Tanakh, the Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, all of the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, the things concerning himself. And maybe you avoid the Old Testament. Maybe in your personal quiet time, you just read the New Testament because it's easier to understand and you just don't see how Christ is everywhere in the scriptures and Luke wants us to encounter Christ, explaining how to interpret the scriptures, that all of the scriptures are about Christ. All of the scriptures should point us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. But number two, encounter the risen Christ, revealing himself in the breaking of bread. Look at verses 28 to 35. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He, Jesus, acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight, and they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon." Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, in this narrative, Luke is wanting us to think when we hear these words, the breaking of the bread. He, he blessed it and he broke it. He's wanting us to think about the feeding of the 5,000 Jesus of Nazareth feeding the 5,000. He's, he's wanting us to think about that Passover meal and the institution of the Lord's Supper. In fact, the very words used here in the breaking of the bread are used in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 that Luke uses again, that the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread. And this became a technical wording for the Lord's Supper. 
And I think what we should be thinking about is the presence of Christ, Christ making himself known to these disciples, and when we gather together for the Lord's Supper, as we remember him, as we celebrate his finished work upon the cross, and as we long for his return, we should realize that Christ is present with us. Now, Luke is not wanting to debate exactly how Christ is present, but we know that the risen Christ by his, by his spirit is present with the people of God as we gather to do this in remembrance of him. And we should be encouraged that this is the Christ who was crucified and was buried and who was raised again, who is present with his people, who is alive and present with his people by his spirit even today. Luke wants us to encounter the risen Christ, revealing himself in the breaking of bread. And number three, encounter the risen Christ through the physical senses of his disciples. Look at verses 36 to 43. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. Now, again, this is emphatic. This is Jesus himself. This is Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified and raised from the dead. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why did doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Literally, in the original language, he says, I am myself. The language that God revealed himself to Moses, the great I am. Jesus says, I am myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and ate before them. See my hands. Touch my hands. Touch my feet. And watch me eat the broiled fish. These are the infallible proofs that Luke was talking about in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. These many proofs. He, he showed them that he was alive. Here I am. See my hands. See my feet where I was pierced. And can you give me a piece of fish? He's wanting to encourage them about the resurrection. His resurrection and their own future resurrection. Remember, he is the first fruits of the resurrection. So when we're troubled and when doubts arise in our hearts, the Holy Spirit wants to 
wants us to encounter the risen Christ as we look at these physical senses that Jesus is engaging in his disciples and that we should be certain concerning the resurrection of Christ and our own future resurrection. I want you to think about this. So many times when we think about eternity, we think about heaven, we kind of think of ourselves being disembodied spirits forever floating around, but that is not the reality of the resurrection of the believer. You see, Jesus is showing us one day that we will eat, that we will be able to see and touch each other with resurrected bodies. We will be able to eat a banquet meal with him and rejoice with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's not disembodied spirits forever. The resurrection means that we will, our souls and bodies will be joined again one day and we will worship him forever together. You will be you and I will be I and Jesus himself will be in our midst forever and ever. Encounter the risen Christ through the physical senses of his disciples. And number four, encounter the risen Christ in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Look at verses 44 to 49. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, this is the classic division of the Old Testament scriptures, the law, the prophets, the writings. And Jesus is saying, everything about me in the law, prophets, and writings must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You see right here the missionary heart of God. God's plan for the nations is from the very beginning of the scriptures and throughout the scriptures. The great commission is the fulfillment of Christ in sending his people. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. In Matthew chapter 28, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The fulfillment of the great commission, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The promise 
of the Holy Spirit. One author said that the comforter has not come to make us comfortable. He's come to make us missionaries. The promise of the Holy Spirit was to empower the church of Christ in the mission of God to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Jesus promises to be with us. How is he with us? By his Holy Spirit. He is with us to the end of the age. And so we can even encounter Christ now in the fulfilling of the Great Commission when we share the gospel, when we tell the good news with our neighbor, when we take the good news across the city, when we take the good news across the world to the ends of the earth, it is our responsibility to get the good news. Jesus is the light to the nations that the salvation of God would reach to the ends of the earth. And he says to us, you are the light of the world. In the same way that the Father sent the Son, the Son sends the church to get the good news to the ends of the earth. And finally, in number five, encounter the risen Christ in his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Look at verses 50 to 53. And he led them out as far as Bethany. This was the Mount of Olives. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Luke ends the book of Luke in the same place where it began, in the temple blessing God. In chapter 1 of Luke Zechariah is in the temple serving and doing his ministry and blessing and praising the Lord. And he ends right here in verse 53, and we're continually in the temple blessing God. The disciples saw him taken up into heaven. And Luke wants us to encounter the risen Christ in his ascension to the right hand of the Father, See, Jesus is crucified, buried, raised again, ministers for 40 days, and appears to his disciples by many, many infallible proofs, and then he is taken up to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, in the place of preeminence, in the place of power, in the place of of authority, where he sits having completed his work on earth and where he ever lives to intercede on behalf of his people. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And one day he will return as the blessed hope of the people of God and the righteous judge of the enemies of God. And notice the disciples response. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. You see, now we worship the risen Christ as he sits at the right hand of his father. We pray and we 
prays and he intercedes on our behalf and we draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And we know that Christ understands everything that we're going through. He was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He knows and he understands, and he is able to help. So we look to him until that time that he comes again. Our eyes are fixed upon him. We look to Christ, and we long for his return. And one day, he will come again. Let me ask you this. Are you ever troubled? Do doubts ever arise in your hearts? Right here in chapter 24, Luke is wanting to encourage us, strengthen us, that we would be certain about the person and work of Jesus Christ, and that when those doubts arise and when we're troubled, we would be certain, that we would have resolve, that we would know that our Christ has finished his work, accomplishing salvation for everyone who would trust in him. And he sits right now at the right hand of the majesty on high where he intercedes on our behalf. And one day, he's coming again for us. And that day is the blessed hope of all believers. It's a terrible day for the enemies of God, but it is a wonderful day for all of those who have put their trust in Christ. Let me ask you this. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior Do you know that he's the one, that he's the promised one, the Christ of God, the one who has accomplished salvation that is offered to you today for everyone who will believe forgiveness of sins and the promise of everlasting life? The question is, will you receive it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the gospel of Luke. We thank you for this journey that we've been on for the past two years. We pray, Lord, that we would find great encouragement and certainty in our faith today. I pray for those who may be hearing the good news for the first time, that you would work in their hearts, that you would grant repentance that leads to life for your glory and for their good. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.